Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, Unanswered. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to Unanswered. This is our summer series here at Valley Point where we're simply asking some questions and then providing answers. I'd like to do a quick review over the past few weeks just in case you've missed a few of our talks. I want to catch you up to where we are today. So in week one of this series, we asked the question, Hillary or Trump? And how do we respond to the current political situation that is occurring in our country. What do you do with all of this? And then in week two, we asked the question, does God actually see me? I mean, with all the big problems that are occurring in the world, with all of the big stuff of which we have even prayed for, what's happening in our country this morning, with all of the big stuff, does God actually see me? And my hurts and my issues and my pain, or does he just kind of focus on the big stuff? Well, last week, we rolled out a very unique characteristic of God. We talked about his assiduousness, which means this. God sees me. He does. Even though there's all these big problems happening, God actually sees me. But he does so much more than that. He acts. And this is the idea of God being assiduous. He sits beside. He takes care. He assists. And so, does God actually see me? The answer to that is yes, but a whole lot more. He acts on our behalf, and that's really good news. So that brings us to week three of our series, and here's our question for today, and that is, I'm feeling guilty about feeling guilty. What should I do? Guilt. What do I do with all of these emotions that well up on the inside and sometimes just eat away at me. Guilt. What do I do with this? Well, I've probably had more conversations and more counseling sessions as a pastor centered around this topic than any other. And that is because guilt is intense. And my guess is that all of us, at one level or another, have probably wrestled with a little bit of guilt. So guilt, what do we do about this? Well, before we jump into the topic of guilt and kind of unpack it a little bit, and I want to share some good news with you today about guilt and how we can have some victory there, I want to tell you why we are tackling this particular topic. I have an advisory team here at Valley Point, and we meet four to five times throughout the year And I just love my meetings with this group. I listen to them. They advise me. And I believe they help give me a pulse on what people are really thinking. And that helps me in my preparations as a pastor. And so we get together and we talk and I listen and take notes. We eat. We laugh. Occasionally we cry together. It's just great fun. So I was with my advisory group this past season, and I threw out a challenge to them. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your greatest spiritual need. 
And what does that look like for you? What's your greatest spiritual challenge? What's really difficult for you? I want you to think about that. And then when we meet again in a little bit, I want you to share that. And so they went away from that meeting and we got back together and I was really anxious about the next meeting because I wanted everybody to be able to share honestly and openly about their greatest spiritual challenge. And I was fearful that they might not. So I was just praying, God, give them boldness and courage, just be able to walk in here with this team and just to be able to openly talk about, here's my challenge. And I wanted that to happen, not because I wanted dirt on people, but I wanted that to happen because I made the assumption that if this is something that they're struggling with as advisors to me, then other people are probably struggling with this as well. And so we need to talk about these things. So what happened next was amazing. We got in the room and people began to share. Hey, here's my challenge. Here's my greatest spiritual need. And it was honest and transparent and raw. And there were tears as people shared. It was just an amazing experience. And what happened as people shared their greatest spiritual need, there were others on the team that were encouraging them and speaking truth into their life. And we prayed together. And it was just a really warm moment as a team. And then one of the ladies on the team began to talk about her greatest spiritual need. And it struck me as interesting. She said, I think my greatest spiritual need is just knowing how to deal with guilt. There's all this guilt in my life over things that have happened. And there's also guilt in my life over things that I want to do. But I don't have the time to do that because there's only so much time. And so I feel guilty about what I can't do. I feel guilty about what has happened. And all this guilt has just piled up. And it's overwhelming. And as she shared this, I looked around the room at the rest of my team and everybody's shaking their head saying, yeah, me too. Me too. Guilt just piling up and eating away at the inside. And my best guess is if that's happening with my advisory team, that's happening to probably everybody in this room. We have all wrestled with guilt to some degree. We have. It's just the reality. There are things that I regret that have happened in my past past, that still bring up a lot of guilt in my life. And I live with that. I've shared this information with you before, but I had a very good friend in high school, and we were very close really enjoyed being with each other, and we both went to separate colleges. He went off to pursue a degree in law enforcement, and I went off to theological training to be a pastor, and we kept in touch during our college years. During my third year of college, he actually got married, and I got to be a part of that wedding, and I knew his wife as well, and we were just very good friends. About two weeks before I was to graduate from college, and he would have graduated as well, I received a phone call that he was killed in a car accident. About a month before that call, my friend had called me, and I talked to him when I was at school, and he shared with me, hey, you're not going to believe this, Eric, but Jackie, uh, she's pregnant. And uh, he was so excited about having a child. Uh, That would be a child he would never meet child he would never know. 
So in addition to just feeling sadness over the loss of a good friend, all of a sudden in the middle of processing those emotions, all of this guilt invaded my life. Did I do enough to help my friend see and understand his need for Jesus? Oh, we had talked about Christ and he knew what I was doing with my life and he found that to be interesting and fascinating. But I began to wonder, did I live right in front of him? Did I talk enough about Christ so that he could come to a conclusion about trusting in Jesus alone? Did I do enough? And all of this guilt just began to invade my life that I probably didn't do enough in sharing with him. I was back in Illinois a couple of weeks ago, and I visited my friend's grave. And I can tell you that 24 years later, there's still guilt. There's still guilt. And guilt is brutal, isn't it? Guilt is brutal. And perhaps you're here this morning... And there's all of this guilt inside of you. Maybe it's guilt over a failure of some kind or guilt over a secret that you know and you hold and nobody else knows about this, but you have guilt because of that. Or maybe it's guilt over a sin that has occurred in your past or is happening right now. Or maybe it's guilt over a habit or guilt over something that you've said or done and it's out there and you you can't go and get it and bring it back. You just can't do that. Or maybe it's guilt over the past or guilt over what you can't do because, again, there's only so much time. Or maybe there is religious guilt in your life. And I know a lot of people talk about church guilt and religious guilt piling up. And that's just really an annoying thing. Or maybe you just feel guilty about feeling guilty. Again, I think it is fair to say that we all struggle with guilt. So let's talk about it, okay? Here's our big idea for today, and that is living guilty-free is possible. I believe that. Living guilty-free is something that's possible. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work, but I hope as we all walk out of here in just a few moments that we will scoot closer to living a guilty-free kind of life. And again, I want to share some things with you that I believe will help us all consider living a guilty-free kind of life. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to begin this morning, and then you can also find Romans chapter 3. So we're going to start in John chapter 8, and then eventually we'll look to Romans chapter 3, and there's some powerful words that are found there. While you're looking for those passages, let me give you some context of what is happening in the book of John. John chapter 1 starts, and this is John's gospel, and he's writing to let people know that Jesus is the Son of God who reveals the Father, and you can trust in him. That's the whole purpose of the gospel, and everything in the book of John kind of points to that. Jesus really is the Son of God, and he reveals the Father to us, and we can trust in him. And so what we find right away in John chapter 1 is that Jesus is busy. He is helping and healing and feeding people and teaching. He's very active. And then when we get to John chapter 8, we find him doing more of the same. He's teaching a group of people, and they're in the temple. And here's what happens. Verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. 
But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the construction of the language here indicates that she was caught in the very act. So it's not something they assumed about her or even something they believed to be true about her past activity. They actually caught her in the act itself. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. No guilt there, right? I mean, now she's in front of a crowd, in front of a religious crowd, no less, and we know how judgmental they can be sometimes. And here she has been caught in the very act, and these religious leaders throw her in front of the crowd and announce this to everybody. Talk about a guilty person. What's really sad about this particular episode in the life of Jesus is that these religious leaders really didn't care about her, helping her, or even challenging her, or considering a way to help her to change her life. They didn't care about her at all. They were simply using her as a tool, as a way to get to Jesus. And that's what we read next. Verse 5 says, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? What do you think? Well, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But here's what Jesus does, and this is kind of fascinating. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. What's fascinating to me about that account in John's gospel is it's the only time in recorded scripture we find Jesus writing. But yet here he is, he's writing, he's stooping down, he's bending to the ground, and he's writing with his finger in the dust. Really bizarre behavior, don't you think? Especially when people are asking him a question. Here is this woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be killed for this. What do you think, Jesus? And he's a great theologian and a great mind. And instead of answering, he starts writing in the ground in the dust. Really kind of strange. And what did Jesus write in the dust? Been a lot of speculation about this. The truth is, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I believe Jesus was probably writing something that referenced what he said about let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So he said it and perhaps reinforced it with his writing. We're not exactly sure. What we do know is that this ended the whole conversation. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Not even one? No, Lord, she said. Uh, Imagine this now. Uh, The only sound is that of dropping rocks and the shuffling of feet people getting away from Jesus and what he was communicating to the crowd. The jury is gone. She's only left with the judge. 
And here's what he says. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the challenge for you. I'm not going to condemn you, but you go and sin no more. And with this statement, Jesus looked at her and said, not guilty. Not guilty. I know what you've done, and I know you've been caught in the very act of adultery, but I, as the Son of God, revealing the Father and all of his love and forgiveness, I am declaring and standing before you and saying, not guilty. But here's the deal. Here's what I want for you now. I want you to go and to leave your life of sin. So Jesus didn't condone her activity, and her life. Instead, he gave her a new challenge where he said, leave this. Do something different. Do an about face with your life and leave this sin behind. This literally can be translated, henceforth, no longer go on sinning. And that's what Jesus said. So question, what happened to the woman? Right? She's dragged in front of a religious crowd, a judgmental crowd. There were people who wanted her dead. And Jesus makes this statement. He writes in the ground. He claims and tells her that she is forgiven and not guilty. Everybody leaves. What happens to the woman? Well, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us any more about her. But I would like to believe this. I would like to believe that after such a dramatic encounter with the Messiah, after receiving those inspiring words from him and listening to him, that she indeed did henceforth go likewise and leave her life of sin. I believe that happened for her and that she began a new kind of life, a life that was guilt-free. That's great, isn't it? Good for her. That's wonderful news and a great story. What about us, though? What about you and your guilt? Whatever that looks like and whatever you're thinking about right now in terms of guilt. What about me? What about our guilt? Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to use the remainder of our time and look at this phrase, go and sin no more. Because there's so much just packed into that that is powerful and freeing. And I believe this is the secret. This is kind of the key to living a guilt-free kind of life understanding this phrase, go and sin no more. This is what Jesus declared to her. He offers the same thing to all of us. And so let's just kind of dive into this phrase for a few moments. And I want to share four different thinking points with you based on that phrase. So get your program out. There is a note section there. Get a pen. Take some good notes right now because I think this is stuff that you can mull over during the week and it will be very helpful to you. So ready? Here we go. And by the way, it starts with bad news. So we're going to get the bad news out of the way at the start here. And the bad news, guess what? It's going to make us all feel guilty, all right? But just deal with it because we'll get past it, all right? So here's thinking point number one. Guess what? We are all guilty. That's just the truth. Just like the woman, we are all guilty. If you have Romans chapter 3 open, I want you to begin looking at verse 10, because here's what it says about me, about you, about all of us. And again, this sounds a little discouraging. 
Here's verse 10. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have become useless. And that word useless means depraved or corrupt. So that's us. So we could say we are all depraved. We are all corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. In other words, we all have something in common. We have a guilt problem. It's true of me and it's true of you. We are all guilty. It's really discouraging, isn't it? It's a good thing Romans 3 doesn't stop there because we get some good news. So let's move on to thinking point number two, which tells us this. Jesus solves the ultimate guilt problem. And here's where it gets really good for all of us. So we are all guilty, just like the woman. But guess what? Jesus solves the ultimate guilt problem. So if you fall down to verse 21 in Romans chapter 3, here are some incredible words. But now... All right, keep in mind, we're all guilty, we're all corrupt, we're all violators, that's just true. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now get this, verse 22, this is how we are made right with God, here's how it happens. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's how it happens. When I place my faith in Christ, when I trust in him alone to rescue me, and he becomes my leader and my forgiver, this is how I am made right with God. If you've ever wondered about, how can I be right with God? It says it right here. And here's some more good news. And this... Is true for everyone who believes. Wow. So I can be made right with God by trusting in Jesus alone, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So often I have conversations with people who will say, God can't love me, God can't forgive me, God doesn't like me, He never would, He never will, because of all of this stuff that has happened in my life. And I'm not even going to share it with you, Pastor, because you wouldn't understand either. And God certainly can't. But there's just no way God can love me. But yet what we discover is that, yeah, we're all guilty. But Jesus solves the ultimate guilt problem. And this good news is available for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Listen, if you're overwhelmed with guilt about your life, your past, something that's there something that's happened now, something that you've done and you can't get it back, if you're guilty about any of that, I want you to know that trusting in Jesus alone starts the process of us living a guilt-free kind of life. And that gift is available to you, the gift of Jesus. It's for all. And so my challenge to you is if you've never responded, if you've never trusted in Jesus alone to save you, take the gift. Take the deal. It's a really good deal. And again, God offers this to everybody. And this is what starts us on the journey of living guilt-free. So bad news, we're all guilty. It's true. But the good news is God saw 
And he sprung into action on our behalf. And so he provided a way for us to be made right with him through this wonderful gift of Jesus. And you can respond to that today. Now, maybe you're here and you've done that. Like, you know what, I know I'm guilty. And yeah, I've trusted in Jesus alone to save me. I'm secure there. I don't doubt that at all. Even though I'm not perfect, I have no doubts. I know I've trusted in Jesus. Yet, I still feel... Guilty. This stuff, it just keeps hitting me up. Well, there are two more thinking points as we consider go and sin no more that I believe will help. So here is thought number three. That is learn to distinguish between false guilt and real guilt. In other words, we have to be able to differentiate there. Learn to distinguish between false guilt and real guilt. I believe it is possible to be innocent of something, but yet still feel guilty about it. That's false guilt. And that can be a really dangerous thing that destroys us. So let's think about false guilt for a few moments. It looks like this. False guilt is when I put myself on probation with God. God can't love me. God can't use me. Here's what I've done. I confessed it. And I know here's the truth about what he says of this sin. Once I've confessed it, I'm clean. But yet God can't use me. He doesn't like me. And so I'm going to put myself on probation. I'm going to put myself on a shelf. Not elf on a shelf, but I'm going to put myself on a shelf here. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm on probation with God. Well, that's kind of a dangerous thing to do because that's false guilt. And that will eat away at us. Here's another example of false guilt. It's believing the lie of the enemy. See, if you've trusted in Jesus alone, listen, you have an enemy who wants to destroy you. His name is Satan. And he wants nothing more than to devour you. Scripture tells us he walks around like a roaring lion looking for people to eat. That's just what he does. And one of the things we know about Satan is he has a name. We find it in Revelation chapter 12. He is called the accuser. And guess what this great enemy of God does to you and to me, to any who have trusted in Jesus? He accuses us and he brings back up in our mind again and again. Yeah, you say you love God. You say you've trusted in Jesus. But what about that? What about that thing back there? What about that failure? What about that sin? And again, that causes us to put ourselves on probation when we allow ourselves to be manipulated by this deceiver, this one who accuses us. I want you to think about this. When we become more aware and overwhelmed with the guilt of sin that has been forgiven then overwhelmed by the grace of God, which is so much bigger, so much better. But when we get overwhelmed with sin that has been confessed, instead of focusing on the bigness of the grace of God, it's false guilt. And we have to find a way to push that out. Okay. So that means there is such a thing as good guilt, right? Well, there is. I prefer to call it true guilt, And here's what we know about true guilt. It is normal to have feelings of guilt when I offend God. 
when I sin against God, there should be some level of guilt in my heart and in my life that I have broken the relationship and I have offended him and I have done something wrong and there should be bad feelings on the inside. That is true guilt and that is guilt we need to pay attention to because it forces us to get closer to God. If you're like me though, when I sin and I begin to feel guilty about what I've done, I tend to run away from God as if we can hide. Right? Think about Adam and Eve first two created human beings. They had a great relationship with God. They broke it. They sinned. They failed. And they tried to hide from God as if that can work. But yet that's what they did. That's what I do. You may do the same thing. When we have these feelings of guilt on the inside because we have done something to offend our unbelievably loving, compassionate, great God, that should drive us to get next to him. That is true guilt, and that is good guilt that we should pay attention to. So, we got to learn to differentiate between false guilt, which beats us up over something we've already been forgiven for, and true guilt that should cause us to turn to God and look to him. And then here's the final thinking point, and that is, if necessary, repent. If necessary, repent. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, a churchy kind of word that we don't use that much, but yet you find it all throughout Scripture, repent. But what does that word mean? Here's kind of a working definition of repentance. Here's how you can define it. Repentance, not just as a feeling sorry or changing one's mind, but as a turning around, a complete alteration of the direction of one's life. That's repentance. And I believe this is the secret to living a guilt-free kind of life, that we get ourselves into a regular pattern of confession and repentance. Here's repentance. It's moving in this direction where I am doing something that God does not want me to do. It's offending God and hurting the relationship and then understanding that. And these guilty feelings cause me to feel bad. And so I run to God and I repent. Here's repentance. It is an about face. It's a turning around. Instead of moving in this direction... I about face, and I now am moving over here in a new direction. I am replacing whatever that offense was with a new behavior. That is what repentance looks like. Let me give you a visual illustration of repentance that I think you'll remember, hopefully for a really long time. All right, I have here, check this out, just an amazing donut from Linda's Bakery at Booth's Corner. I love donuts, by the way. (laughs) Kind of looks like sin, doesn't it? Actually, it looks amazing. (laughs) But just for the sake of the illustration, go with me for a little bit. Let's imagine that I need to repent of donuts. And I'm not saying you need to do that. You You come to your own conclusions. But let's say I make the choice that I need to repent of donuts because I want to live a healthier kind of life. That's just what I want and I desire. And I've come to the conclusion that I need to get rid of this sin in my life. If I don't repent of this, I'll never be able to accomplish it. So if I feel I need to repent 
of this incredible donut here, then I really can't hang on to it, can I? It does me no good to hold it. It does me no good to smell it. It does me no good to put my lips on it either. And I'm doing that because I don't want any of you to eat this after the service, so it's spoiled now. Right? It does me no good to do any of that. Instead, here's what I need to do with the donut. If I'm repenting of this because I want a healthier kind of life, I have to put it down, and it's not just enough for me to put it down. I have to replace it with something else. I have to do an about face and pick up the apple. That's what I've got to do. I have to turn from the offense and the problem and pick up a new behavior that will lead me into the right kind of path, and this represents the apple. I will say the apple does not taste as good as the donut. As a matter of fact, I had somebody first hour tell me, a well-made donut is as great of an argument for the existence of God as a whole orchard of apples. And that, that may be true. So my illustration is this. Repentance, make it a regular habit in your life. Don't neglect it. And repentance means this. I was once moving over here, but now I do an about face. I put the donut down, and I pick up the apple, and I move in a whole new direction, if necessary. (laughs) And by the way, I know in my life, it's always necessary. Necessary all the time. If necessary, repent. So understand, we're all guilty. Jesus takes care of the ultimate guilt problem. We've got to learn to differentiate between false guilt and true guilt. And then when needed, repent. I believe this is how we go and sin no more and begin living a guilt-free kind of life. Let me share three takeaways with you. Number one, trust Jesus today to start taking care of the guilt. And again, this is the big guilt problem. And if you have never embraced the leadership and the forgiveness that God offers, I want to encourage you to respond to that today because he offers that to you. That's the gift. Take the gift. Take the deal. It's a really good gift. Secondly, kick false guilt to the curb. I mean, just identify it as false and move it to a different area. And by the way, I would encourage you to get all the help you can as you do that. From counselors, from trusted people in your life, from family members, from advisors. I mean, get them next to you so that they can help you identify false guilt from true guilt. And trust their advice. Trust that. But we've got to kick false guilt to the curb. And then thirdly, practice regular repentance for true guilt. If we do this, if we do this, I think we're going to make God so happy, so happy. And in the process, even though it's difficult and challenging, guess what? We're going to be living a guilt-free kind of life. Father, we are really excited about some of this information today. It helps us to know how we can begin living a guilt-free kind of life. God, I believe everybody in here wants that. As difficult as it is, as challenging as it is, 
certainly possible for us. So I pray that you would just work in everybody's heart and in everybody's life right now and that whatever guilt they may be experiencing and feeling, whatever guilt may be devouring them right now, just pray that you'd help them to really think through that. And God, I pray that we'd all just know and understand we are guilty and Jesus solves the ultimate guilt problem. After that, we've got to learn to differentiate between true guilt and false guilt. And then we've got to get into a regular pattern of repentance. God, maybe that's what some people need to do today. I pray that if that's the case, you give them courage right now to just to repent of whatever is happening in their life and that they would walk out of here clean and forgiven, allowing that guilt to drive them to you into repentance. God, maybe there are others here who have yet to trust in you alone. I pray that you give them the courage to take that step right now. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to speak to those in the room who may be ready to trust in the gift of Jesus. And it's never occurred to you that you can do that. And you know that's available to you. I mean, Jesus came specifically for you to solve your sin problem. And maybe you're ready to take that gift. The way we're made right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. We call that trusting in him alone. If you want to trust in Jesus alone, you're ready to take that gift and be made right with God. You've never done this before. I would encourage you from your heart to God's ears in the quietness of this hour to just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know it. Tell him that you want to trust in his leadership and his forgiveness. And you don't want to add anything to that. There's nothing more you can add. It's all a work of grace. Just tell him that you're trusting in him alone to rescue you. And then in your own words, thank him for saving you, for taking care of the ultimate guilt problem. If that's something you've offered up for the very first time, I want to say congratulations to you. You've made a tremendous choice that I don't think you'll ever regret. You have a forever friend in Jesus. It's what you have. Maybe you're here, though, and that's something that you've done. I just want to encourage you to walk out of here today determining that you're really going to think through, is this a true guilt or a false guilt? Is this a guilt that's putting me on the sidelines or I'm beating myself up for something God has already forgiven me for and I've confessed? Or is this true guilt? Have I offended God and I need to make it right? And if that's the case, repent. Choose to do that throughout the week. I believe if you do that, you'll find yourself living a guilt-free kind of life, which is so freeing and so amazing and so wonderful and something that can happen. God, again, I just thank you for this time. I pray that you'd use John chapter 8 and Romans chapter 3 to really grab our hearts change us and to help us live guilt-free lives. 
I pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.